But right now, we want to have some analysis of yesterday's election results. And I'm joined live this morning by our State House Bureau Chief and Chief Political Correspondent Steve Missler. Steve, good morning to you. Good morning, Erwin. You know, a big issue, of course, on the statewide ballot was whether Mainers wanted to create a public entity to take over central Maine power in Versant. Voters said no, and they said so rather emphatically. Uh, any surprise in that outcome or the margin? Yeah, not so much the outcome, Erwin, but the margins were definitely a bit surprising. I mean, some of the polling we saw this fall suggested that question three was going down and somewhat decisively, but with 85% of precincts reporting, it's down by nearly 40 percentage points. I suspect there's a lot of reasons for that, and leading them, I think, is the uncertainty surrounding what would happen if voters approved this consumer-owned utility. You know, while there's certainly examples of consumer-owned utilities here and in other states, what was proposed um, in question three was a takeover with no real analog to anything that's happened anywhere else, and I suspect that a lot of voters were nervous about that. Uh, certainly, central main power and versant power played into that ins- uncertainty with a $40 million campaign that completely eclipsed supporters of question three. I mean, they couldn't run a single television ad. Um, meanwhile, the utilities not only swamped the airwaves, they also employed a persuasion campaign that utilized a network of what I call political influencers, uh, lobbyists, and consulting firms that was completely unmatched by the Pine Tree Power operation. Voters are even more emphatic about barring foreign contributions in referendum campaigns. Remind us what was the motivation behind this. Yeah, they certainly were. And and as we speak, uh, question two is passing something like 86% to 14%, which is is about as lopsided a margin as you can get, Erwin. What's interesting about question two is that it was born from another fight involving electric electric utilities, specifically Hydro-Quebec, which was the electricity supplier for the CMP corridor project that voters tried to scuttle uh, two years ago. Hydro-Quebec would be banned from electioneering in referendum uh, re- referendum uh, uh, campaigns under this proposal, and so would Versant Power, which accounted for roughly half the spending in question three this year. And that's because both are government-owned entities, and question two specifically banned such companies from electioneering and referendum campaigns. This has been a loophole that's existed for as long as we've had ele- campaign finance laws, but it really wasn't known until voters tried to kill the corridor project in 2021. Uh, one last thing about question two, Erwin, I suspect there will be some tinkering with this law when the legislature comes back in January to address some constitutional concerns, but I guess we'll have to wait and see if that actually pans out. Well, I assume that has to do with broadcasters and newspapers who opposed this on First Amendment grounds, uh, saying that they're going to have to vet ads and what the sources of money are. Yeah, that's that's one of the concerns I was referring to. I think a challenge by a court challenge by press organizations is certainly possible, but I think that will depend on how the rulemaking prescribed in question two goes, specifically as it relates to that so-called due diligence provision that you just referenced that calls on press organizations to make sure companies are not trying to skirt the prohibition on foreign electioneering. You know, press organizations are not keen on being deputized as an arm of the state, but the issue might be resolved in rulemaking or a, or a tinkering of the law by the legislature. We'll just have to wait and see. Another big winner last night, independent auto repair shops. That was also a somewhat one-sided advertising campaign, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. I mean, there wasn't a ton of money in that, but the auto manufacturers, which were opposing question two, uh, excuse me, question four, um, were certainly got involved. They got involved kind of late. I think the notion, and, you know, and, and you, as you mentioned, the uh, the margins here are pretty decisive. And I think the notion of right to repair, which is what question four does in the realm of automotive repair, is sort of a populist idea that resonates with the general public. In this case, it essentially requires auto manufacturers to give access to a car's telematics data so that independent shops can access that information and diagnose problems and conduct repairs. And proponents have described this as leveling the playing field and giving customers an option outside of manufacturers' franchise dealer repair networks. Meanwhile, the manufacturers claim that it's all a scheme to allow repair shops to collect and sell drivers' data. Either way, question four won't be a slam dunk implementation. I mean, the law, the question uh, four is identical to a law that passed in Massachusetts that's been held up in litigation for years. And I suspect that's going to stall the implementation of question four. All right. The margins were a lot smaller on questions five through eight on the ballot. Uh, any particular take on those? Yeah, I think uh, I think maybe they were a little bit tighter, Erwin, because the wording of those questions was so esoteric and hard for voters to understand you know, such is the case for constitutional amendments. But the clear winner is question six, which calls for the full printing of the main constitution as it was drafted when the state separated from Massachusetts more than 200 years ago. The significance of this hidden language is especially acute for Maine's Wabanaki tribes because it contains treaty obligations that were enshrined more than 200 years ago. Now, those obligations are already have the full force of law but the Wabanaki tribes, tribes wanted them in full view for the sake of transparency and history. And so the, the passage of question six is a big victory for them. Uh, question five, which basically basically gives state election officials more time to certify petitions uh, for citizen initiative re referendums, is also poised for passage. Question seven and eight, however, are in a precarious position. Both were designed to align Maine Constitution with federal court rulings but it looks like voters are rejecting those changes. Either way, it's important to note that the results from questions seven and eight will only affect changes in the wording of the Constitution, not the force of law. So for question seven, that means uh, out-of-state petition circulators can continue to work in Maine regardless of Tuesday's outcome. And for question eight, which deals with voting rights for people um, in guardianship, those rights were restored two decades ago because of a federal court ruling. All right. That's Steve Missler, our chief political correspondent and one of the principals on our main Political Pulse podcast. Steve, thanks a bunch. Thanks, Erwin.